Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. more to just that initial commitment. There's so much more 
like the couple I've been working with in premarital counseling, I said, look, guys, the wedding event is the doormat. But how much time is put in effort and money nowadays on the doormat? Maybe that analogy doesn't settle in with you, but think about it for a second. Isn't the wedding just the thing everybody wipes their feet on to get to the real living, the house? I mean, the wedding is a great event, and it's the first, you know, it's the first, oh, that's awesome. Have you ever walked up to a house and you're like, oh, that's a pretty cool doormat? But you don't think about it much after that. So I was telling this couple, look, guys, the wedding is an event. And quite frankly, most people that go to the event, they'll say, oh, that was nice, and that was great. But in 20 years, it doesn't matter to them. They won't think twice about it. There's something bigger. It's the marriage itself. It's the relationship. That's what's important. And so when it comes to spirituality, Jesus came to do more than just get people across the starting line. We're going to look at a passage today, and it carries on from Luke 4, when Jesus kind of tipped his hat and revealed what his ministry was all about. When he said, this is my mission, this is what I'm here for. And now I'm going to carry over to the next chapter, Luke chapter Luke 5, and look at what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit really has come to do. So last week, if you weren't here, we looked at the passage where Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and it's from Isaiah 61, I believe, or 61. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, and I forgot already because I'm an old man. So in Isaiah, in this chapter, he quotes, he reads the quote, and then he says, and in the quote it says, for I've been uh, empow basically empowered by the Spirit to come and preach good news. And then he goes through and he talks about what that looks like and about healing and about reaching out to the least of these. It's, it, it, was, it was this holistic thing that Jesus came to do, but it was powered by the Spirit. So now this week we come to this passage where he encounters back-to-back -back healing stories. The healing of someone who couldn't walk. But that follows the cleansing of a leper. So two people, one because of a skin disease, the other because they were crippled, who were outcasts in their society. So before we jump into the actual passage itself, what you need to know is that in their culture, if you had leprosy, you were totally disconnected from society. You were kicked out of the village, you were set on the edge of town. You couldn't come within like 50 yards of a loved one. It wasn't quite that far, but it was pretty far. It's probably more like 20 yards. You couldn't come within close contact to any of your loved ones. You were set out. And the only way you could survive is if someone in your family cared enough about you to bring food and set it down and make sure you got it instead of another lover running up and getting it. Pushed off, no one wanted them to be around them. They were, they were bad. It was.
was very similar for crippled people as well. Not because they were infectious, like the lepers, but because if you were crippled, the idea was that you did something wrong or your parents did something wrong, and I don't want to be around wrongness. Sounds like some people in the church today, right? Very mean-spirited. It was the idea of saying, hey, you know what? You're evil. Uh, something you did, I don't know what it was, or something your parents did was evil. And so you're a cripple because of that evil. We're not coming anywhere close to you. You are an outcast, which meant you could not participate in anything with your family. The second thing it meant was that you could not participate in any spiritual happenings. So you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't experience spiritual life. You were disconnected and pushed out to the fringes. So Jesus starts his ministry right off the bat, going to the people that no one else will go to. And that's what he said he came to do last week. Remember the poor? Last week we talked about how the poor means what? And this is not rhetorical. What does poor mean? We talked about it last week. Stacy got right to it. She said everybody, right? Yes, everybody. But poor was poor in spirit. It meant poor financially. It meant poor in relationships. It meant poor with your uh, choices you made. It meant poor all around. Poor meant anybody that was broken. And that's what we talked about last week. That the poor that Jesus came to reach was the broken people. And guess what? We're all broken people. And so Jesus, in his first act, after declaring that that's what he came for, to come and restore the broken people, he shows up and he heals a leper, and now he's going to heal a crippled man. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 5, verses 17 through 26. In one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal I want to stop here because there's some really important parts to this first, this first verse that that's, is important to understand the said. Number one, Jesus was teaching. Jesus didn't have a degree to teach. He didn't come up in the right ranks to teach. He wasn't a rabbi officially. But he was already causing a stir, so much so that teachers, Pharisees, Specialists in the Israeli or in the Jewish law, the law that pervaded the people of Israel, they were sitting there. Now the word sitting implies one of two things, that they were there to try to teach Jesus or that they were there to judge Jesus' teachings. And it might have been both. So they showed up because he was causing a stir, and they were there to challenge him, to judge him, to see if what he was teaching was wrong. And where had they come from? Every village of Galilee, and Judea, and from Jerusalem. That meant these guys had come from all over Israel. 
Now, Israel is not large, but understand in that day that if you came to a village to listen to someone teach, it probably took you days to get there if you were on the outermost parts of the area. So if you came from every village, that meant people walked days or rode days to get to hear Jesus. This wasn't just a happenstance. They were there for a specific reason. They had gotten together, they had come up with a plan, they had met together, and they were in this pressure cooker of tension with Jesus to see if what he was saying was what they agreed with. It's kind of like when you're defending a dissertation. Man, rough. But, the last phrase says, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, we don't have time to look at every verse. And if you've got a study Bible, it will, it will tell you the verses. But in Luke, this phrase, the power of the Lord, power, and in this, in this setting, and because of what Jesus just talked about in chapter 4, power of the Lord is to be understood as power of the Spirit. The two are synonymous. Power of the Lord, power of the Spirit. Now again, I don't have time to show you every parallel and why that's the case. Just take it for what it is. Please, if you want to, go study. And so the power of the Spirit, the power of the Lord was on him to do what? To heal. Jesus came and he says in chapter 4... To put back the broken. To heal the broken. So the Spirit is on Jesus to heal the broken. To heal. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now think about what that means. The guy was crippled, and these guys love him so much, they don't care what other people think about them carrying the cripple. Because remember how we started the sermon, how being crippled meant that you were an outcast? These people cared so much about this man, they didn't care if they were labeled outcasts with him. That's powerful. This sermon could be about friendship. It's not. But understand how powerful of an act it is that he has friends carrying him as a cripple. And they come seeking Jesus. And they wanted to lay him before him. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. In those days, there was a courtyard in most of the, uh, of the homes that would have been in the Galilee at the time. And that courtyard was covered with uh, different, different building materials. And part of that was tile. You could peel these tiles back. It was not mortared there. So they peel these tiles back. The light comes shining through and they lower Jesus on the mat. I mean, not Jesus. They lower the man on the mat in front of Jesus, this crippled man. So there's two, there's two parts of this scene that are interesting. There's two hurdles here. The first hurdle is the Pharisees. Jesus is being surrounded by the Pharisees. What would the Pharisees, not rhetorical answer this, what would the Pharisees think about the crippled man? Huh? He's unclean. What else? 
He was an outcast. He was a sinner. He deserved his crippledness. So, huh? Yes, he certainly wouldn't be allowed right in their midst. They would just kind of like, oh. The first barrier was the Pharisees. The friends and the cripple didn't care. The second barrier was what? The crowd. The crowd was so large, pressed around the house, looking in, trying to listen. Now, guys, these weren't houses with AC, right? So this was a steamy kind of, uh, probably didn't smell great. You ever been around a lot of sweaty people in one small place? Not very good. And they're all crammed in there, and they're looking in, and because there's not glass, they're all peeking in listening to Jesus and what he has to say. They're seeing this confrontation play out. This is high drama for them, right? Oh, the big wigs are here. Let's see what Jesus does. And they're all pressed in and this crowd had gathered around. And so the crowd became a barrier. How often is that true in our culture too, right? The crowd becomes a barrier. But they didn't stop. They pursued and they kept going. And they lowered him down in the midst of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, this is the first time this word pistuo, faith, in the Gospel of Luke occurs. And faith, pistuo, the Greek word, means to entrust. Because they were willing to entrust themselves in this opportunity to Jesus. That's what it meant. And when, they, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, understand how radical of a statement this is. In their culture and in their religion, who can forgive sins? Yeah, God. There can be only one, and the one is God. It's not Jesus. It's certainly not a man with dirty sandal feet. It's certainly not a man sitting in the middle of a stinky group of men with someone being lowered down. How can this guy forgive sins? There's only one who can. But this verb, where you are, is actually a perfect Passive verb. I've got two English teachers in here who can tell you what a perfect passive is. It is an action completed by someone else that has already happened in the past. And in the Greek, that means not only has it happened in the past, but it has rippling ongoing effects forever from that point. So when they choose to use this form of a verb in the original language, it means that this is an action that's already happened in the past and ripples out throughout eternity from that point onward. And it's passive, which means that the person speaking didn't do the verb. And it means that the subject of the sentence didn't do the verb. And we call this a divine passive. There could be only one. So what Jesus is saying is, look, God, the Father, God, Yahweh, 
has already forgiven you and it's rippling through your life. Man, your sins, a better translation would be, have been forgiven you. Now that's interesting because he's not saying that I, myself, out of my own human strength forgive you. He's saying this is something that the divine did. This is something that God in heaven. Now remember, Jesus is fully God, but when he became man, he put aside his authority, we're told in scripture. So he put aside his authority so he didn't have the originating authority to forgive sins. That was still left in heaven with the Father. And so when he uses this phrase, what he's saying is that the Father in heaven has forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees were blown away by this because this was blasphemy. This was evil. No one could do that but the Father in heaven. And now what he's saying is, your sins are forgiven, but I have a direct connection with the Father. And I'm like, yeah, he's already told me you're forgiven. This is a radical, radical statement. So it shows you why the Pharisees were so blown away by this. And they began questioning in their minds, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, which means that Jesus was not only connected to the Father, but he was a prophet because he could understand their thoughts. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven to you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. This is a weird phrase. Verse 23, let's go back to 23. This is a weird phraseology. It's weird in the original language. It's, it's, it's not weird to the original hearers. It's weird from the original language transition translated into English. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now, what he's not saying is compare which two is easier. That's not his point here. That's what it looks like, and that's what it reads like, but that's not what he's saying. This is, a, this is a tool that they used in argumentation. And in this argumentation, in this kind of uh, debate that he's having, even though they haven't said anything out loud, he's basically debating their thought. He's saying, look guys, which is easier to say here? I mean, I could just say rise and walk and he'd be healed. But that's not the point. And that's what Jesus is saying. I can tell you, I can tell this guy, I can heal him, but then you would miss the point of what I'm really here to do. I can heal him, and you wouldn't think anything about it. And I, it would not be a challenge to you. And you would miss who I am claiming to be. But because you need to know that the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit being on him to heal. Now he talks about the authority to forgive sins. And those are parallel thoughts in the structure of how this passage is played out. Those are parallel thoughts. So the Holy Spirit brings power and he has authority to forgive. Power and authority. 
And as happens over and over in Luke again, there's teaching and action. So he taught, he's teaching here, look, you need to know that I'm claiming to be someone. I'm claiming to be connected to the Father. I'm claiming to be his Messiah here on earth. You need to know that. The other thing you need to know is that my work is to the least of these. My power, my healing is for all the unbroken. Not just the broken that you guys think are worthy of being forgiven. Everybody has the option of forgiveness. Everybody has the potential of healing. Every broken person. Even the lepers, even the crippled people. Everybody. So listen guys, just as an aside. I don't know what you've done or what you are doing in your life. I don't know where you are spiritually, but here's the deal. None of you are outside of the reach of the love and the forgiveness of God. The healing of God is for everyone. Do you realize how radical this is for their day? I'm surprised he walked out of that room alive. Jesus is saying, look, I have come. The power of the Holy Spirit is on me to heal. But healing isn't just walking, is it? Jesus came to make the whole person whole. And that's what the power of the Spirit does. It makes the whole person whole. It takes the person in all of their brokenness and puts them back together. That's the healing of the Spirit. Jesus didn't come just to heal you from COVID. He didn't come just to heal you from a broken arm. He didn't come to heal people just to be able to see physically. We talked about that last life, last week. When he says to bring healing to the blind, he means spiritually blind too. Jesus came not to just heal our physical bodies, but to heal every aspect of our life, to heal our relationship, to heal our bodies, to heal our spirit. To heal every aspect of us, the whole person being wholly changed. That's the healing of the Spirit. Remember, that's how we started this passage. Luke said, in the power of the Lord, we're to understand that if the power of the Holy Spirit was on him, to heal. And then he looked at the paralyzed man and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What's radical about that? I mean, obviously, besides being able to stand up, he's crippling. I mean, there's healing here. But there's part of this that we often miss. What's, what's really life-changing in this besides the physical healing? Go home. Go home. He hadn't been able to really go home. And going home meant reconnecting with family. It meant being invited back into society. It meant now he could go to the synagogue. It meant now he could go to the temple and worship. And he didn't have to sit on the outside and wonder what in the world was happening. He didn't have to ever be distanced from the God of the universe again. Go home meant to go home physically and spiritually too. Go home. Yeah.
So when we talk about the Holy Spirit healing, we're not just talking about the Holy Spirit healing the mood. Although we need that. We're talking about complete, utter healing. The whole person becomes whole. That means that the Holy Spirit can bring wholeness to you. Every single one of you. Where do you need his wholeness? Where do you need to be made whole? What brokenness do you need fixed? But it also means that the work of the Holy Spirit through you brings wholeness to others. It's both for you and through you. Do you get that? And so, Bill, the things that y'all are doing with, with Ransom, it seeks to, to capture part of the wholeness, right? Y'all don't just teach people how to, do, how to do work. You don't just get people OSHA certified. You also teach them soft skills, how to have relationships, how to be accountable, who the Lord is, and how the Lord plays a part in their daily life. found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.